1: Appalachia, you got, you know, coal mining towns and things like that. They're company towns. In a way, Napa Valley is a company town. I mean, tens of thousands of us work in the wine industry one way or another here, and uh, we take our role in the community and need good stewards, good neighbors, really, seriously. It's really hard to do that.
0: Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR shaping our appalachian region if you're a entrepreneur out there especially in eastern kentucky check them out appalachian meets world we're back this week it's will and neil what up bro hey we got a special episode tonight it's a follow-up from the i guess you could say shine the beer spirits and wine Our tips on alcohol development. I mean, (laughs) I don't know if that's what you call it, but we'll say the alcohol industry in general. Two guys that don't know much about the product talking about the financial and economic impact in Appalachia that alcohol has driven. So I guess a follow up to that, you know, this is a little bit different spin of alcohol inside and outside of the region in a different form. Yeah, last week you know we talked about moonshine. We talked about beer. The other big alcohol industry is wine. Mm-hmm. I know. And when you think of wine, what do you think? Well, I mean none other than Napa Valley, right? Will exactly. When most people think wine, they think Napa Valley. Rightfully so. Uh, yeah, from what I hear, they they produce the best grapes. I wouldn't know, but <laughs> that's what I. It's what they say. <laughs> because of this special episode and it's just a follow-up we're just going to get right into the episode tonight hey you know me i'm always uh eager to learn and uh taking it all in once again so (laughs) our guest is actually from napa valley he's an authority on the napa wine region he is from the napa valley vintners association so we're going to have him on the show to talk about napa valley to talk about the wine region there and how it compares to the wine region throughout Appalachia. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Will. And like we said before, we're not experts in this industry, and we're definitely not experts in the wine industry, so I say we just get them on and let them tell the story. Yes, sir. Let's do it. (music) On a special episode today, we have Rex Stoltz. He has roots in West Virginia, but currently is a vice president of industry relations at Napa Valley Vintners. It's a membership organization of 550 wineries working to enhance, promote, and protect the Napa Valley and its wineries. So Rex, we wanted to welcome you to the show. We appreciate your time. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for the invitation, guys.
0: One thing we ask all our guests, and we'll go ahead and ask you as well, like Appalachians are big on tradition, our family's big on traditions as well. One of those traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays, usually way more appetizers than the actual meal. So Rex, we wanted to ask you, what's your favorite appetizer or just holiday dish?
1: Boy, that's a tough one. What a great question to start with. They like the full bottle of wine or half a bottle? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> First of all, I agree that breath? you can overdo it. You could overdo it on the appetizers and spoil the meal. Right. And we, yeah. we all do that. We like uh, doing that. I, I love, I love a really good chicken wing. You know, it goes great with almost any kind of wine
0: flavored chicken wing. You...
1: <sighs> yeah. You know, right now I'm moving a little bit away from too saucy and more. And this is because of my son to like a lemon pepper oh, yeah. uh, type stuff, but I'm, I'm not going to turn down mini chicken wings, uh, whatever they are. And I'm also a sucker for a good potato chip with like an onion dip. And I can literally eat the whole bag of chips and the whole thing onion dip.
0: Do you uh, need ruffles or is it?
1: Ruffles, ruffles. And, and with that, I'm either going to have a Napa Valley sparkling wine or some champagne, you know, like legit champagne from Champagne, France.
0: Nice. 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 We uh, really ha- had you on the show because there are several AVAs, there are several wine regions throughout Appalachia, but obviously Napa Valley is known as kind of the epicenter of wine producing regions, obviously in the country, but in the world. And so we wanted to kind of compare Napa Valley, see how Napa Valley does it, hear about its history, but also compare it to other regions throughout Appalachia that also produce wine and just hear that comparison straight from the horse's mouth or straight from Rex's mouth <laughs> but sorry, we're in Kentucky we talk about horses <laughs> <laughs> so we want to ask you could you let our listeners know could you just give a really brief history of Napa wines and you know how, how it kind of started how it got to be Napa
1: Valley? Yeah, I'll try. So, you know, a lot of, like a lot of the country, we had uh, European settlers come here. You know, for, for us in California, Northern California is the gold rush. It's all about the gold rush. So now you're going back to the 49, right? 49ers, 1849. A lot of Europeans came and settled here. Napa was an important community for the gold rush because of the Napa River. So people could sail up the, the Bay, San Francisco Bay, into the Napa River, get all the way to downtown Napa, which you can still do. And then it was a good jumping off point to get to the, uh, the foothills of the Sierras and the gold rush. That's really what started Napa as a community. And then these folks came out and settled and they're, they bring with them their European winemaking history and heritage. And you've got like the Beringer brothers, uh, Krug, you know, families like that, that came out. And then you had people starting to plant wine grapes here all the way back to the mid 1800s because they wanted to grow grapes and make wine and drink wine like they're accustomed to doing back home in Europe, wherever they're from in Europe. And that's kind of really what started it. And then you had, you know, just along the way, learning and learning and learning how to how to uh, grow the right grapes for this region, uh, make better wine. And that learning is still going on today. Napa Valley is uh, a small uh, place Ge- geographically. It's really small. I think we're Uh, one-eighth the size of Bordeaux. Not a very big region at all. Small amount of wine comes from here, 4% of California's production, but it's all about quality. And 30% of the value of California wines comes from the Napa Valley. So you got the European heritage, but then also what you have uh, more importantly, I, I suppose, is what Mother Nature has given to us here. We're not a coastal climate. We're not an inland climate. So we're just right in between Uh, Mediterranean climate warm hot days yesterday was 90 degrees here and but the nights are cool you've got the 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 sugars rising during the day and then the acids at night uh, and that's what helps make the wine so balanced Mediterranean climate uh, diverse soils so people are uh, have been figuring out for 150 years but there's still a lot of research and and uh, learning going on today and one of the cool things about Napa Valley and I think it's one of the reasons we've been so successful is really Robert Mondavi. Like he gets a lot of credit, but I don't think he gets enough credit, frankly, because when, you know, his family was growing grapes and making wine at Charles Krug, and then he got, you know, cast out of the family business. I don't know if you know, follow any of this stuff, a uh, fist fight between him and his brother and, His brother was focused on making wine and money. And Robert was like, hey, I want to make the best wines in the world. I want to compete with Bordeaux. He's cast out his own. He starts Robert Mondavi Winery. He starts talking about, let's not compete. Your neighbor is not your competitor. Your neighbor is not your competitor. Bordeaux's the competition. Let's work together to make the very best wines we can. Let's share secrets. Let's share equipment. You need something, come see me. I need something, I'll come see you. And that spirit of camaraderie still exists in the Napa Valley today.
0: Obviously, we had a a period of Prohibition in the U.S. And in 1933, after Prohibition, it kind of even took off even more in Napa Valley. And you mentioned the Mondavis in 1943. I think they started there in Napa Valley. But also on your website, the Napa Valley Vintners website, it talks about um, 1976, the Judgment of Paris, where they had the tastings of sharp. Uh, Chardonnays and Cabernets between Napa Valley and France, and Napa Valley won. So it kind of put Napa Valley on the map globally in regards to wine winemaking. And I'm glad you pointed out the Mondavi working together because I think it's 95% of the wineries in Napa Valley are, are small and family-owned, which I think is really cool to show how these wineries work together. But can you just talk a little bit about the Napa Valley Vintners and what you guys do and what your organization um, is there for in regards to Napa?
1: Yeah, we started in 1944. We're a nonprofit trade association representing 550 Napa Valley wineries. So we only represent napa valley wineries need to be growing and making napa valley wine in napa valley in order to be eligible to join not a compulsory membership organization it's voluntary but we still represent i think 99 of the production in napa valley and just about every winery in in the region's a member
0: i was going to ask are there yeah. any that aren't members i mean there, yeah, yeah there's
1: there's a, there's a few i suppose they have their reasons. maybe we did something politically 20 years ago they disagreed with or whatever but that happens big tent everyone's welcome you know first and foremost we're a marketing organization we want to drive the awareness and demand of uh, for Napa Valley wines all over the world we work really hard to do that just by you know education bringing influencers out to Napa Valley letting them meet the the people uh, behind the labels uh, get out in the dirt and the vineyards and touch and feel. And so it's not just, you know, uh, tasting wines in a fancy restaurant or something like that. It's a, an immerse, immersive experience. We've got a, a number of key things that we're known for around the world. And an event in February, Premier Napa Valley, where people in the wine trades so people that resell wine from all over the world come out for a week-long experience, ending in a an auction where they're buying Napa Valley wines made specifically for this event. So they would have on, the, the only amount of these wines available in the world, these, the people that buy them have, them. they go back to their, their restaurants or their retail shops all around the world and and resell them or what have you. And then, so on top of marketing, which is the primary thing we do, we're also a full service trade association. So we're looking out for the best interest of our members government relations type issues uh, here in the Napa Valley, state of California. Uh, I'll be working in Washington, DC next week on some things. So around the country and even around the world, actually, and Usually when it's international things we're working on, uh, as you mentioned earlier, we do have a famous name. the world of wine. And so there's people that want to trade off that name illegitimately. They want to put labels that say Napa Valley, the wines don't really come here from here. And so we're super aggressive in protecting the integrity of the Napa name. We're involved in uh, environmental issues. Uh, We're big on the environment. This is still farming. It's an ag product. So we want to do the best to take care of the Napa Valley as we can. We're doing things for our members all the time. Uh, Workshops. We had one yesterday on how to cost your wine. Uh, Seminars, uh, anything to help our Our members who are business people do a better job of running their business and be profitable, uh, make higher quality wine. We do a lot of wine education, wine making education, and uh, we're working for the members. And then we're also uh, we take our role in the community. Really importantly, Uh, there's tens of thousands of us. It's a company town like, you know, in the Appalachia, you got, you know, coal mining towns and things like that. They're company towns. In a way, Napa Valley is a company town. I mean, tens of thousands of us work in the wine industry in one way or another here. And uh, we take our role in the community and being good stewards and good neighbors really uh, seriously and, and work hard to do that.
0: It's like a huge chamber of commerce for wine.
1: That's exactly, that's exactly it, uh, Neil. It's exactly it. You know, I came actually, I've, I've had my my job at the Napa Valley Vintners for almost 17 years, but I came from the Chamber of Commerce world. I ran a chamber in, in the tiny town of St. Helena for eight years, and I ran the membership of the Napa Chamber for several years before that. And so, whereas chambers are for the entire business community, we're almost like a chamber for the Napa Valley wine industry.
0: That was going to be my next question you kind of alluded to. I was just going to ask you about your background. So I'm glad you kind of mentioned a little bit about that. Is there anything else
1: you would say? Yeah, you know, I grew up in, in Hawaii, mostly just surfed so much in high school. I almost didn't graduate from high school and <laughs> was uh, was smart enough to know that I needed to get off the islands, off the island to, to go to college, which I did. And I had fully intended to, to move back after four years, which I, I have not done uh, yet. Um, <laughs> but I went to school up at Washington State University uh, in the Northwest and a degree in communications and I wanted to get into, into radio. Ironically, the first radio station I could get a job at was a little AM and FM station in Napa, California. Hmm. And so moved here 30 years ago to take that job, nothing to do with wine. And Napa just sucks you in as a, as a as a community and a great place to live and wonderful people and quality of life and so uh shortly afterwards i just said heck with the whole radio thing i don't want to bounce around you know outposts of california for a little over minimum wage and no job security and and just kind of got involved in the community in other ways and 30 years later here i sit cool
0: so, so the american viticulture area i guess is how wine experts or 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 how re- different regions throughout the country are recognized mm-hmm. as AVAs and right. Napa Valley was the first one in California in 1981. I guess a little over 200 AVAs throughout the country, over half of them are in California. You know, there are several throughout Appalachia. I'll just go ahead. Throughout the states of Appalachia, I know Georgia has one, Maryland has two, uh, New York has ten, but I don't think any of those are actually in Appalachia, New York. North Carolina has four. Ohio has three. Pennsylvania has two. Virginia has seven, and West Virginia has one. How do you compare those regions? Obviously, Napa Valley is the epicenter, but what does Napa Valley think about those other regions throughout the country? Those other AVAs that are producing wine, probably a little bit different category than Napa? Maybe not. I don't know. I'm not the expert, but what does Napa Valley think about those other regions that are trying to produce, especially those regions I mentioned in in Appalachia?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, respect in the wine industry in general for other regions around the country, like you just mentioned, or around the world and appreciation and respect for the the wines that come from there. I don't, you know, see a lot of like necessarily competition. We're better than you or et cetera, et cetera. I think it's like, just like full on respect for being able to do what you can do. And in fact, you know, in some ways, given that mother nature's blessed us here in the Napa Valley, maybe more so than some of those other regions. It's like, Hey man, if you can, if you can grow grapes and make good wine and you don't, necessarily have the, the natural gifts that we have in the Napa Valley. That's that's pretty cool. Also, you know, we work closely with, yeah, I mentioned how we work hard to protect the Napa name, the integrity of the Napa name. We're we're co-founders of an organization called the Wine Origins Alliance, which is uh, something to check out. Wine Origins Alliance is Google. It'll pop up. I think it's origins.wine is the website, but that came together here in Napa in 2005 when Champagne, Port. Porto and Sherry came here, along with Napa and Walla Walla, Washington, Willamette Valley, Oregon, and just signed a declaration that said that wine growing names are of the utmost importance for the regions that have earned those reputations and for consumers. And let's all work together to protect all wine growing place names. And it started with uh, those seven or eight regions. Now we have 31 from all over the world, including a lot of the United States, uh, Oregon, Washington, New York, uh, Missouri, and so, Texas. Uh, so we're working to grow that organization. And, you know, it's great to hear all those ABAs and all those states. And man, we would love to have Ohio involved in this, West Virginia, Maryland. I mean, again, big tent and the more people, and the thing about that is every one of those regions is proud of their region as they should be. And uh, so therefore you'd think, okay, they're, they're probably also don't want their name ripped off or used illegitimately. We want to grow that organization.
0: Our, our podcast, you know, it's grounded on place and perspective. We talk a lot about identity formation and, and how the mountains have kind of shaped who we are and how throughout Appalachian, kind of the mountains shape our culture. Mm-hmm. I guess the same could be said, as you just mentioned with wine, how the regional identity is very important to wine and winemaking throughout the country.
1: Absolutely, 100%. It's everything. You know. We got into this. When was this? In the late '90s, really. Uh, there was a brand out there called Napa Ridge, and the, the the grapes didn't come from Napa Valley. And that's really what started this. And and so f- our association got a our board sponsored a, a bill in Sacramento and got a law passed, the Napa Name Law uh, in 2000, which is you know kind of a landmark case. It went all the way up through the state Supreme Court, where we prevailed and, and was appealed to the United States Supreme Court in 2006, and they rejected the, to the hearing. So the state Supreme Court decision prevailed, and we prevailed. And it basically says, if it says Napa on the label, it's got to be Napa in the bottle, which you think is kind of like, duh. But to that point, it wasn't really the case. And then while that was going on, you had the folks at Champagne watching, looking at out here and saying, oh, look, these guys get it. You know, you still see crappy bottles of a sparkling wine at the bottom of the shelf at 7-Eleven or Safeway or whatever the market is <laughs> in Kentucky that say champagne on it. And those wines don't come from champagne. They're just going to give you a headache. And so you're like, you know, let's let's respect each other's place names. Uh, and you think back upon it, it, when it started, it wasn't intended to be, you know, a middle finger to those, those regions in France or wherever. It was like, that's what they were accustomed to, you know, the Hardy Burgundy. This reminds me of the wines in Burgundy. So it, it, it was just like what they relied on at the time. So that's fine, but we don't need it anymore. We don't need to misuse these names. Let's use the windshield and not the rearview mirror. You know, consumers are are advancing too. And so our belief is that we should phase out the use of the European place names. There's still 16 of them in the United States that, that were grandfathered in from 06. You could you could still, if you were making a, a burgundy wine in 06, you keep making Burgundy, Chablis, Port. Cherry, champagne, the big one, but there's there's others too. And so sorry I got off on a little bit of a rant there, but
0: no, coming you lit from the Bur- fuse.
1: You lit the f- fuse, Will.
0: Coming from coming from a bourbon country, we totally understand. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I enjoyed a little bourbon last night too.
0: I, I, I wanted to ask you, you, you know, when Mondavi started in, in the forties, you think he had in in his mind that wine production would be this economic driver for Napa Valley. You know, how has it become this economic driver? Obviously, you mentioned uh, the climate and the soil and things that are important for Napa, but it has really become, you know, this driver for the valley in general. And can that be duplicated in other regions? You mentioned Ohio, you know, if you can grow grapes and produce wine in northern Ohio, which is Ashtabula, right on Lake Erie, which is where they produce, I don't know, 70, 80 percent of the grapes in Ohio, then you can grow, you know, you can grow grapes anywhere. It gets cold in Ohio. I guess the question is, how has it become the economic power that it is in Napa? And can that be duplicated elsewhere?
1: I think we've become what we've become. Uh, slowly and organically. It's just happened over the years. You know, the, most of the valley floor here is more or less planted out. You know, there's not a lot of additional room in the hillsides to, to grow grapes or some, not a lot. It's just happened over the years. And then the the focus on quality is driving up price points. So, you know, it is an important, obviously, to the, the, the Napa, the county of Napa's economy, we're the, we're the principal driver and we're, uh, I think it's uh, a little over $8 billion a year in economic impact just in our county alone. And then you can extrapolate there to the, the impact on the national economy is somewhere around 15 billion, or pardon me, state's economy. And then from there to the national economy. So it's just sort of happened. Did Munda, Did Robert Mondavi foresee this? I don't know, I'm not, you know, I've only, I met him a, a few times, super sweet and nice man. But it seems to me from what I, what I know and what I've read, he was really just focused on quality, quality of Napa Valley wines and, and driving those up as much, just, you know, just increasing, increasing in quality as much as possible. I'm not so sure he was focused on being an economic powerhouse as a, as a, as a region. And, you know, I think there are other regions that are, are just killing it in terms of making great wines, uh, the reputation, the economic impact to their community. I mean, our neighbors to the West here, Sonoma. Do a fantastic job. Uh, one region that's just really making uh, tremendous wines, getting more attention, respect, uh, not only on the west coast or in the country, but I think around the world is the Willamette Valley in Oregon, just uh, what south of Portland, just making just amazing Pinot Noirs. Uh, the state of Washington is is so it's a lot of west coast stuff. But and then I was out for a conference. Uh, Wine America is a federal trade policy organization that we're a part of. And they, prior to COVID, we're doing annual fall conferences. It was kind of cool. It gets you, at least for us, out to these regions that you don't really normally get to. So I was in the Texas Hill Country a handful of years ago, beautiful place, impressed with the wines, people were outstanding. And then the Finger Lakes in New York I mean, those Rieslings were just amazing. Uh, What a a beautiful place. So, yeah, there's great wine made all over the country and and regions. You know, I think the key, I'm not a winemaker, but to me, the key is to figure out what grapes grow best where you are. Not like, hey, I love Napa Valley Cabernet, so I'm going to try to make one here in one of these regions. It doesn't work unless you've got the proper soils, climates, microclimate, all that, the terroir. And if you don't have that, don't make the wines that don't go grow well where you are. Grow what you can grow well and make those wines the best you can. I think to me, that's a secret. Again, I'm not a I'm not a scientist. I'm not a winemaker, but I do drink a lot of wine from all over the world and, and I, I love it, but I, I like the ones that do best for their region.
0: Have you had some Virginia wines? What do you think of that region? Had, I, know, I, I only say that because you hear about that region a lot, especially on the East Coast or in, in Appalachia, just because they're producing, I guess, a little bit more than others.
1: Yeah, I have had some Virginia wines and, and liked them quite a bit. I wish I had the names of the wineries here, but one was uh, west of DC, approaching the northern part of the Shenandoah Valley. And it was actually uh, uh, the guy that used to uh, be the head head usher I think of the White House came from Napa Valley and uh, so he we had a visit there my family he was awfully sweet he gave us a private tour of the White House this is 10-15 years ago and on our way we were driving to West Virginia from there actually and he said oh make sure to stop by and I wish I had the name of the winery but wines were outstanding and then uh, we were went to Monticello recently and then uh, visited some of the wineries uh, near there near Charlottesville and Again, really Im- impressed with the quality and some uh, good red blends. I remember and um, Cabernet Franc was uh, did really well. Um, so yeah, and you know, I, going back to the Wine Origins Alliance, Virginia is a region that we've actually talked about within the alliance of trying to get you know make sure they're aware and no, we would love to have them be a part of it.
0: Yeah, North Carolina is starting to make a little bit of a name in regard, at least in Appalachia, with the number of AVAs that they have. But, you, you know, you mentioned West Virginia, and I mentioned that at the beginning, your roots in West Virginia, or your mom's from West Virginia. And you mentioned, you know, traveling there soon to go see her. Kanawha Val, River Valley, I don't know if you're familiar with that region in West Virginia, but while you're there, you should check out their one AVA.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's too. F- far, you know, uh, I'll be in West Virginia. uh, Right now I'm sitting in my daughter's bedroom in Napa and in 24 hours I'll be in West Virginia. And my wife and I do really enjoy tasting wines while we're visiting other places. We have tasted wine at a a vineyard in in West Virginia a long time ago. I don't know exactly where if it was in that AVA, but I don't think that AVA is far from where my mother lives uh, near Rupert, Raynell, Lewisburg kind of. So I think it could be nearby so we'll be there for a handful of days we'll try to check it out
0: we wanted to ask you since we have you do you have a favorite wine
1: oh you know i think uh, i'll start by saying it depends on what i'm eating and the time of year you know hot summers like we have here in napa i'm probably drinking something white or pink Uh, a lot of good uh, sauvignon blanc chardonnays here they don't lean towards the big rich oaky buttery chardonnays i like you know a little little more crispness acidity love a good rosé a uh, good dry rosé. But to answer your, your question more uh, bluntly, Pinot Noir. I'm a big Pinot Noir fan. I love, I love Pinot Noirs. I love the depths of, of, of the layers of flavor in a good Pinot Noir. I love how food friendly the wine is and how versatile it is. You can have it with salmon. You can have it with uh, chicken and, and even some, uh, a lot of different pork. I'm a big barbecue guy myself and and do a lot of ribs and, you know, a nice rack of ribs and Pinot Noir to me is uh, heaven or uh, a seared duck breast and Pinot. I mean, if I'm on death row, I hope I'm never on death row, but <laughs> if I am and I get my, my last meal, it's probably going to be. Some kind of seared duck breast, maybe some just perfectly executed French fries and a, and a nice bottle of Pinot Noir. <laughs> and I'm going to take my time because I'm going to be dead a little bit after that.
0: <laughs> you got some amazing food there in Napa too. What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite winery or brand in Napa and then outside of Napa?
1: It's probably not best for me to answer the first question. I love all 550 <laughs> members of Napa Valley. Vintner's the best, but what
0: about outside of California? Do you have a favorite?
1: Oh, geez. Um, you know, I, no, I'd have a hard time answering that actually. Yeah. Actually, I do have one. I, I'll go out, I'll go out on a limb here. And it's a wine that nobody's ever heard of and you can't even buy it in the United States, but Through our work with the Wine Origins Alliance, I've gotten to travel a number of these regions and and meet a lot of these people. And there is a in Porto, Portugal, which is an amazing place. If you ever get the chance to go to Porto, you got to do it. Just a gorgeous city, the food, the people, the wines. But there's a small, small producer there called Bulas, B-U-L-A-S, makes still wines, I think, but their ports are incredible. And I've had their 30-year Tawny port, and uh, it is just off the hook good. And I wish they could get an importer distributor in the United States. I don't know if they're big enough. That's probably the problem. It's a small family uh, producer, but just the, the, the aged Tawny ports and the, and the flavors in that thing are so complex and magnificent that uh, that's my favorite.
0: Is it compared to 23 year pappy? Is that is that how we? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you know that's probably a reasonable comparison.
0: There you go,
1: comparison. You know, I'd never heard of pappy till a few years ago, and uh, one of our producers here, Dariush, uh, winemaker at a winery, uh, lovely, lovely man. And we were in DC. Uh, he was on our board at the time, and we were doing annual you know trips to DC, advocacy trips. And on the way back from this dinner with our congressman, he says, "I don't know you very well." Let's go into the hotel bar, and I'm gonna have the very best whiskeys because he knew I owned it. He goes, "You pick, I buy. That's it, no argument." And we went to town. But uh, that's how I got introduced to Pappy, and and uh, that's some that's some great stuff.
0: One drink of Pappy, it, it costs you like 200 bucks.
1: Or <laughs> well, to take that story a step further than uh, just a little over a year ago, I had a friend for some reason, he was selling a bunch of Pappy, a winemaker here as well. He's from Texas. And he put something on Facebook that he had all these bottles and different ages. You know, so I I reached out to Dariush. I said, hey, uh, I can get you some of this stuff if you want. And he said, get me as much as you can. I said, all right. That's so great. connected my friend. We show up to the winery one evening as a, you know, cold January, cold, wet January night. And we show up to Darius, all these bottles of Pappy. All I did was connect the two of these guys. All right. And I thought it was going to be a little transaction and away we go. He invited us into his office. He had a fire going, had crystal, stem, uh, the crystal, uh, you know, whiskey glasses out. And he said, all right, they made the exchange. He said, all right, let's open them. Let's taste these things. That's what they're here for. And I was like, all right. We sat there and drank. We didn't drink all the bottles, obviously, but we got to taste this, the most amazing awesome. bourbon it is such a treat. I
0: think we just solved a crime here, Will. There was uh, a, lot of pappy, a lot of pappy <laughs> stolen a couple years ago. and Well, Florida. I
1: didn't name any names. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's very smart, very smart. So this is a question we ask everybody that's on our show. And as you know, most the majority of the people we have are all Appalachians. But I just want to know from your perspective, somebody that's not in the region does have some ties to the region, but what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word Appalachia
1: mountains, mountains, and just, you know, scenic beauty. And uh, I I, mean, I love it. Like I said, I'm going to be there tomorrow and you know, people that have never been don't appreciate it. I think a lot of the rest of the country, yeah. you know, they even get, get the hillbilly jokes and all that type of stuff. But I'm like, yeah. Hey, don't knock it till you've been there because uh, the scenic beauty is among the best in the country. I love at least where I'll be in, in West Virginia. Uh, it's up about 3000 feet or something. So, so, you know, even in the summers, it doesn't get too hot, it's cool. The people are just spectacular. The food's really good, it's just kind of Americana at its essence. And uh,
0: can we break you away from Napa to come work in Appalachia? Yeah. <laughs> where the <chambers> there?
1: <laughs> it's a good sales pitch there. Oh, it's 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 wonderful, it's terrific. Now, there are some things that I think that you know, it's just there's still some blight, and you know, that there's there's. has There's buildings, at least where I visit in West Virginia, they're like, why don't they knock that thing down and take it away? Why is that that ugly thing still standing there falling apart? This and that, You know, I suppose it's related to to, uh, the economy and poverty and things like that. So you do what you can do. But other than that, boy, uh, it's just a, a great place.
0: Rex, we really appreciate your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your perspective in regards to wine, but in regards to regions throughout the
1: country. Thanks for the invitation. It was a lot of fun. If you guys ever want to do it again, let me know. If you, want to, if you want to do something with the Wine Origins Alliance, I could probably get the head of Champagne if we could work. You know, we'd have to figure out the timing and stuff. They're, what, yeah. uh, eight hours, uh, nine hours difference from the West Coast. and uh, But I'm sure they'd be happy to come on and, and share their perspective, too, about uh, importance of place. That's really what it comes down to. We're, we all have things we're proud of and should be, and a lot of mutual respect and, and protection for those names is important.
0: Well, I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks a lot and uh, look forward
1: to talking to you more. That was great. Appreciate the invitation. A lot of fun. Happy to do it anytime.
0: On this special episode, as a follow-up to the alcohol industry in Appalachia, throughout the region, how it compares to other regions, we just wanted to thank Rex again for taking the time talk about the Napa region, but also to talk about the importance of place, the importance of identity, the formation of identity, and how it relates to not only wine, but a region, how Napa compares to Appalachia. We know this episode is relatively short, but we wanted to take a moment to just share our deep sympathy and heartbreak for the floods in eastern Kentucky and what's happening, what's going on there. Just heartbreaking for us, for a place that we call home. You know, we talked about in this episode, the importance of place. We talk about it all the time on this show, the importance of place. So we just want to take a moment to say this place that we call home in Appalachia, like most of Appalachia, it's resilient. It's resilient. It will bounce back, but it's gonna take a long time and a lot of effort, a lot of sustained effort. When the cameras leave here in a couple of weeks that have been covering the floods, that doesn't mean the work stops. It's gonna take years to rebuild some of these communities So if there's any way that you can support the effort, I know there are a lot of resources out there. I've been seeing a lot of things posted. We'll try to post some things on our social media. Check them out. Help any way you can. There are several ways to donate. Just if you're in a place where you can help, please support the communities of Eastern Kentucky. Think about them. Keep them in your prayers, not only now, but going forward. So we just wanted to say that, you know, this is kind of a solemn episode with what's going on, but we just wanted to take a minute to talk about it. And we'll keep this outro brief, which is heartbreaking all together. So again, check out our social media, check out other social media from the region. They're posting a lot of resources where you can support the people, the communities of Eastern Kentucky. And lastly, again, want to thank Rex Stoltz for being on the show. Appreciate what he does there in the Napa Valley region. It's just kind of neat to compare the region to Appalachia and some of the winemakers throughout our region. And we hope to follow up with some of those programs throughout the region, maybe on next week's episode. So stay tuned. I guess we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace.
1: I'm getting lighter, the air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long, sidewalks and buildings, and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.